3: Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Welcome to episode 38 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. Before I get into today's episode, Seattle, I am with you this week. I'm with you on Tuesday and we have a live podcast recording I'd love to see you there. It's absolutely free to attend. So make sure if you'd love to see behind the scenes of what happens on the Healthy Cup podcast, you head down. And Vancouver, British Columbia, I am with you this coming weekend. And there'll be a live podcast recording in North Vancouver on Sunday, the 2nd of July. So we've had a great time doing live podcast recordings here in LA and we've done some in Portland. They've been so much fun. The people who have attended have absolutely loved them. So I'd love to see you there. Head to thehealthygut.co forward slash events so that you can secure your place to one of my recordings. On today's show, we welcome back Dr. Melanie Keller. And today we're talking all about oral health and gut health. Dr. Keller returns for her second podcast interview with The Healthy Gut. She's an ND from the National University of Natural Medicine, and she specialises in the treatment of SIBO and associated conditions. And she's also participated in the development of the SIBO Symposium and the SIBO Centre at the National University of Natural Medicine and co-authored the February-March 2014 Townsend Letter article. Dr. Keller is a current board member of the Gastro ANP, a mastermind contributor with Seeking Health Education Institute, and has a private practice based in Los Angeles, California. Her evidence-based approach addresses epigenetic influences from microbial dysbiosis, malabsorption and environmental toxins. And on today's show... We talk about the role that the mouth plays in the digestive process and the link between poor dental health and gut health issues. We talk about what good dental hygiene looks like and how you can achieve it and what you should be looking for in terms of what's happening in your mouth and what might be happening elsewhere in your digestive system. So I hope you enjoy today's episode with Dr. Melanie Keller. Welcome back to the Healthy Gut Podcast, Dr. Melanie Keller. It's wonderful to have you back on the show.
0: Well, thank you so much. It's good to be back.
3: Yeah, we had uh, a great chat with each other um, when I was visiting Los Angeles uh, a little while ago now and um, and you very kindly um, gave up some of your time and appeared on episode 27 um, and shared your four steps to treating SIBO with uh, myself and my listeners, which was wonderful. But today we're going to be talking all around the mouth and oral hygiene and, and issues that Can occur in the mouth and its connection or not with the um, the digestive system further down. Um, But let's talk about why uh, you you have an interest in dental hygiene. Oh well, um,
0: (laughs) that's because I was basically raised in it. Um, My mother is a dental um, assistant hygienist. She actually did both roles, so it was basically around all the time. And um, I always had either was taught how to brush my teeth, and or was always being asked what was going on in my mouth <laughs> my entire life. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and very important.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So I would even be sitting at a restaurant. My mom would say, "Let me look at your teeth." You know, it would be embarrassing. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> good old, good old mums.
0: Loving mums. Yeah, yeah. Because I, yeah, I appreciate it now.
3: Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about what actual dental or oral hygiene actually is, because I think for um, you know, some people they they might not un they might not know like what exactly should we be doing with our mouths and our teeth and our gums every day. That's yeah,
0: it's a really good point. And um, what I really think of is that there's the most common types of dental disease are preventative. So, we have dental t- decay, or also known as dental caries, and you have gingivitis. That's an inflammation, right, of the gingiva. And then you have periodontitis. Those are all really common and they're preventative, and they, that's inflammation. We got two itises there, right? And smoking is actually one of the number one leading risk factors associated with periodontal disease. And what's interesting is that smoking actually impairs and alters the immune responses, and it actually can elicit destructive processes and inhibit any reparative responses from the immune system. So that can actually even promote further development of the periodontidal disease. So that's one of the things that I like to highlight to people and said, you know, and we're talking about tobacco smoke, we're talking about Anything that's being combusted or even inhaled that's causing like even e-cigarettes, I believe, is even maybe a little bit of a controversy in terms of we're talking about the heat that's going on, but then some people actually talk about combustion of toxins and such. Another um, common risk factor to having something adjusted with your dental hygiene is regular vomiting. Now, this can be due to chronic illness, right, perhaps, or Perhaps we're even looking at bulimia nervosa. So that can cause some damage. And that's one of the things that we can maybe even see, or a dentist may be able to see um, someone who might have that condition by way of their mouth. So those are things that can be more, most destructive to the mouth. And then we can look at, well, if the dental disease is preventative, then what do we define as hygiene and what are the routines that we can have during the day? And what's interesting is that there's actually a recommendation to, well, of course, brushing and flossing daily, um, but to, uh, excuse me, floss prior to brushing, because then we're actually loosening everything up and even making sure that we get down deep around the base of the tooth You know, some people will just kind of go, -er, -er," you know, on the uh, acting around, but you kind of have to need to really tuck down underneath the groove and get as deep down under to these areas where the toothbrush can't reach. A toothbrush really is only cleaning about 50% of the surface. So flossing is recommended at least once a day, Um, again, preferably before brushing and then Brushing ideally is two times a day. Now, there are some people, you know, again, if you can get it in that, that third time after eating, that's great. But after breakfast and before bed is really essential.
3: And should we be brushing before we even eat? I had um, someone ask me a question of, should we brush our teeth as soon as we get up Um to perhaps remove any toxins that might have or bacteria that might have built up on the teeth while we've been asleep or is it fine to just wait till you've consumed breakfast
0: it's an excellent question and i would again i guess preface this by saying i'm not a dentist um you know that i am coming from my medical background applying it to dental health and uh And then having been raised around it, but uh, again, just to make sure that people understand that for those really specific questions, what came to mind when you asked that was to perhaps floss first, you know, but then again, we're going to have breakfast and then we're going to lodge things back in there. So this was really what I found was that even after breakfast, it's an interesting question, but I'm thinking more of how do we maintain the pH in the mouth um, upon rising and then even when we're starting to digest food. That's another mm. component of the mouth here. So,
3: mm-hmm. mm, yeah. And what about um, the role that mouthwashers and tongue scrapers play in keeping the mouth healthy? Well,
0: absolutely. So, we can, tongue scraping is another addition, as well as a mouth rinse. Um, also, limiting snacks. That can, um, I was going to get further into that too. But so, Tongue scraping can, of course, remove Mm -hmm. any plaque and or microbes or pathogens that we need to can move on. And mouth rinses, you can get an antimicrobial mouth rinse. I even put down oral, excuse me, oil pulling to reduce bacteria and plaque activity. Um, Again, I'm not going to get too far into details on that. I mean, I personally use like a hydrogen peroxide with cinnamon. I have a sensitivity to mint. So I have to, and I've gotten really creative again through medical school, making my own uh, mouthwashes. Um, So I think that I'm going to leave that to people's preferences, what they have access to, or even if they want to try making their own online recipes. Um, And then there's also some argument, and this may be controversial out there, but even a fluoride mouth rinse or toothpaste helping the reduction or preventing tooth decay because fluoride is actually um, there to make the teeth more resistant to acids and it's part of the process of remineralization. And so that's why I said the comment earlier about, well, it kind of has to do with the pH of the mouth. Um, and timing and such because we really want to make sure that we're not in a state of demineralizing the teeth.
3: Mm, It's interesting, and and fluoride really does get, you know, it it kind of causes quite a lot of frenzy at times around we should have fluoride in our water, we shouldn't have fluoride in our water, we should have fluoride in our toothpaste and and oral hygiene support and then we shouldn't.
0: Exactly. It just is. It's that teeter totter. And even again, I would say the people that I've spoke to, even in the biogenistry field, um, I've sat down with a very, you know, I just had a wonderful conversation with someone. And, you know, we had a friendly debate in the sense of um, even when you ask that person, well, what would you do? Would you have your feelings? You know, so it's, it's, and, and it's very interesting to watch them ponder because again, they have their education they have their continuing education and they also have to derive their own conclusions so yeah mm. so I, I would also like to say for those who do avoid fluoride in their toothpaste at least so perhaps they can't avoid it in their water source that there are foods that naturally containing more foreign fluoride um, in fact I even went to nutrition data um, here and you know took a look at that at some higher fluoride containing food. So again, that's just something to, to be mindful of. The other thing is that I said earlier about preventing snacking and, and the SIBO folks are familiar, right, with us wanting to limit our snappy, snacking or spacing our meals to optimally that four-hour time zone, Right. Well, there's this association with also if you're consistently eating more food, right, or specifically sugar, then you're exposing your mouth to a greater time duration that it has at a lower pH. And that's another point where demineralization occurs. So a pH below 5.5 for most people is when we're actually getting this demineralization. So it's important to then encourage, and so SIBO folks, here you go, this is another thing that's encouraging not only your migrating motor complex, but that infrequent consumption of food and especially anything containing um, heavy sugar, and of course I'm not probably speaking to many people doing that, but that they have that chance to repair the remineralization. Um, So if they're even eating fluoride-rich foods, they're spacing their meals, they're, you know, maximizing their pH in their mouth. Then again, we're optimizing physiology, the acids that are in like fruit juices, or yes, I'm going to say it folks, vinegar and soft drinks. So that lowers the pH in the oral cavity and that can cause the enamel to demineralize and eventually cause cavities. So vinegar is the one thing I'll never forget when, when my parents were a little, when they first saw a particular company or Bragg's vinegar drinks coming out, and then they were on campus and, uh, you know, they just thought, Oh my goodness. Oh no, 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 <laughs> you know, just absolutely not. And, um, especially somebody who would be sipping that throughout the day. Um, they are, again, they're shifting their pH, they're, shifting things into a potential demineralization in the enamel. So,
3: yeah. Mm, That's really interesting. And um, it's very interesting to think about the pH of the mouth. I must admit I've never thought about the pH of of my mouth and the impact or the role drinking and eating was having on it Um, and particularly – prior to SIBO I followed those guidelines which are well um, versed out there that we should be eating every two to three hours Mm -hmm. and I would have my three main meals and I'd snack I'd have a morning mid-morning snack a mid-afternoon snack Uh, I generally wouldn't eat anything after dinner but I'd so that meant that I was eating generally five or six times a day Um, and sometimes more if I you know if there were you know nuts or mm-hmm. you know, things yeah. that you could pick up that were nearby. Particularly when you're working in a in an office environment, as I did for most of my career until recently, there was always something to eat. <laughs> Someone always had some form of food going around, and and you know sometimes it would be hard pressed to not have something in your mouth for an, in an hour. So <laughs> it's really interesting to think that um, when you're eating and drinking and and vinegar, which I love vinegar. So I'm thinking of all the vinegar I've had in my diet, that that has been lowering the pH and potentially uh, helping cause cavities in my mouth, which is fascinating.
0: Right. It is interesting, right? And there's this component even of when I would say to, you know, I'd sit down with my parents and say, well, but I'm taught about apple cider vinegar and this and that. And they'd say, yes, we understand, you know, but these are us having our conversations, right? This is me home for Christmas, me home for spring break. And, you know, they would really say, well, okay, so use a straw, get it past the enamel, right? Don't have it swishing around in your mouth. If you're going to, if you're going to do your HCL or excuse me, your apple cider vinegar, then perhaps, you know, get it past the teeth using a straw And then after, for example, if you are using it due to hypochlorhydria, and we've talked about that, but I'm just going to say perhaps this is why someone is using it, right? That then they can use a bit of baking soda in their mouth. And again, I even have that recommendation to my patients at the end of their um, routine is that they can either sprinkle a little baking soda on the toothpaste or if they prefer to have it at the end, if they want to brush their teeth and then have like a, an brush of just baking soda. The point is, is that you don't fully rinse out your mouth. So you wet your you know, you wipe your lips off or what have you, but you don't actually want to completely rinse your mouth out. So that's the reason why I had that moment, even about, um, mouthwashes, because it can depend on what, Point in the routine that you have, right? So let's say you optimally start with flossing, maybe even do a mouth rinse brush and then do your uh, baking soda at the end. So it's either baking soda on the toothbrush, like toothpaste, like I said, and then you don't fully rinse out the toothpaste slash um, baking soda, or you are just doing that little brush at the end of just baking soda. And um, again, leaving that, at the very end. So that's going to help neutralize and again, bring the pH, um, up in the mouth. And especially for mouth breathers, that's another point that I wanted to make, Um, or anyone who's on, for example, medications, that's drying their mouth or have an autoimmunity that causes dry mouth, then they really want to make sure that they're addressing the pH in their mouth.
3: Mm. It's so interesting. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the mouth itself in its, and, and its role in the digestive process. Um, and I think I always really like to go back to basics because I think if I can really understand how a particular system works, it then gives me greater clarity and understanding of understanding why things can go wrong. Are you able to talk about, you know, what is the mouth's role in in our whole digestive system because it's that first entry point?
0: Absolutely. Well, I appreciated this question and I always like to go back to physiology. It's the fun stuff um, and it, it's a good reminder, like you said, you know, so there's actually three phases of digestion and oral phase is the first phase. But I also kind of like to remind people that there's actually the cephalic phase, which is from our head. And that's secreting, that's where gastric secretion starts just from the sight, the smell, the taste, the thought of food. Like I think of the participants on Survivor, you know, how they like fantasize about peanut butter and whatever, whatever they fantasize about. Or you smell that coffee or whatever, right? Coming up from breakfast and that is stimulating your digestion just in and of itself and then we have the oral phase of digestion and this is interesting because this is the only one this is the only phase that's under voluntary control and so i'm really making it a point to say that to people this is the one part that is under voluntary control I want to kind of even bring in the part of the brain and the things that we're thinking about and what's going on is like, some people can even have that anxiety, right? Even as they're preparing their food and that could be shifting your, you know, your salivary secretion. Are you anxious about what your meal's going to do to you? You know, so it's also some, some awareness of kind of then bringing ourselves to, and I'm guilty of this because the first step is mechanical and we officially call chewing, it's called mastication. So we actually need to have proper bite, okay? So in some cases, and I've been in the dental chair where they were checking, right, with that little paper to see if I was properly aligned in my bite because some things or some people have pain or whatever reason why they're not, some people will just chew on one side. They might not be properly breaking things down. And one of our professors at NUNM he was also an ND and um, a dentist, um, and Dr. Dick Tom, and he taught all of us, I really appreciated learning from him, that he would say, chew your food 31 times. That was his number. I don't know why, folks. 31 times. Okay, pick a number. But the point was that he said, chew your food to the point of it being liquid. And that's the second Form part of oral phase is saliva. It's moistening the food. It's beginning the chemical digestion. So saliva is about 99% water. And not only is it moistening the food, but it's cleansing the mouth. It's dissolving food chemicals so that we can taste our food. It contains enzymes and proteins that lubricate the oral cavity and starts the breakdown of starchy foods. There's salivary secretory IgA. That's a measurement we can see, right? In terms of like, well, how long there's secretory or salivary, and then there's fecal. Those are things that we can actually measure. And then I mentioned medications that can actually lead to, it's called zero stoma or dry mouth. And there's a long list of them. And so and I mentioned also there can be an autoimmunity as to why somebody, um, I remember I have a very specific case. In fact, that was the number one thing she came to me for was dry mouth. And it was a celebratory day when on her follow-up questionnaire, she, can, she could say to me that was 100% resolved. And uh, yeah, that's celebratory. <laughs> so then we have the tongue. That's going to actually create the bolus or this ball, or hopefully as liquid as we can possibly get it. And the next steps are involuntary. This is the peristaltic wave that moves the bolus into the stomach. And that propulsion is what's moving things through the alimentary canal. Now, the alimentary canal is a single continuous tube that includes the oral cavity, the pharynx, esophagus, stomach, small intestine, and large intestine. So I tell people, I'm not just looking at the one, the middle part of the tube, or the stuff right in the middle, right around our belly button, where all the small intestine is, I'm looking at the entire tube, and the brain above it. So um, the epiglottis, right, as the tongue is starting to push things back to the back, you have that epiglottis that is going to make sure that it's not going to go down the wrong tube. Right. When we say that, Oh no, you know, that's the thing that we're looking to make sure that that's not happening. That's why one of my questions as sensitive as it may be is I ask people if they've had a history of an eating disorder and if they have had bulimia, if they have chosen that form of, uh, you know, to remove things from their system then we discuss the ways that they did it and how, how long they did it. Did they get to a point where they had to go move past their own finger? Did they get, you know, cause those can be, again, telling me more information about the circuits and the sphincters or the epiglottis or the um, autonomic versus nervous system. Okay. So That's another thing in terms of that segues me nicely to for some people, whether it's trouble with the swallowing component or they might have peristalsis issue, say, for example, in the esophagus. So there's an actual way to measure um, esophageal monometry, and that's a test that can see if the esophagus is working properly from the mechanical aspect.
3: Mm, that's interesting. And do you, is that um, if you're looking at the mechanical aspect, would you be looking at that if someone says, "I feel like my food gets stuck. I feel like it's stuck in my throat."
0: Exactly. Or they they frequently cough. Um, there's that's the that's what I actually got to observe at Cedars uh, Sinai was um, Dr. Ali Razai was performing the esophageal manometry, and so you start with a liquid substance. And then you, you know, in your testing and you're looking at um, how is the, how is the um, response of the esophagus? Then they move them onto applesauce, say, for example. And then the third is usually a piece of white bread. I have to say it's like that wonder bread. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, and yeah. And so they're really looking at different mechanisms there. And of course, as I watch that, that's great. We, we need to know, we need to understand how something is working or whether it's not. Um, at the same time, I like to look at the, but why, why could it be possibly off? And um, I was more inclined to check the person physically for some reflexive points, some uh, Chapman's points that ISS and such, but yeah. I mean, there's definitely times where that's warranted because perhaps there is something that's paralyzing um, the motion or there's a chemical or electronic, ele- you know, electrical reason. There's more to that. Or is it the fact that we are able to control things more um, as far as whether or not we can relax that, right? Rest and digest. Um, I just even think of myself sometimes being guilty of watching television while I'm eating and not even really paying attention and you choke or, you know, or you don't even taste your food Um, or it's got that, Oh, you feel it going down. Has that ever happened? I mean, I've had that. I've had it where I've gripped the countertop saying, Oh my gosh, I can feel this peristalsis going down and it's painful. Um, There's even a, a condition called nutcracker esophagus. And, um, whoa, yeah. I mean, that, that one's out there on the video and it talk about painful and they really don't have any answers for people. That's the sad thing. So, Mm,
2: so again, to
0: me, I want to look deep, deeper down and maybe even that genetic epigenetic component as to maybe there's some enzymatic reasonings or absorption reasonings as to why the circuits are off right kind of going back into their factory and walking around and taking a taking a look
3: I really like what you say about it's not we're not looking these systems aren't Um, isolated that the small intestine is connected to the stomach and the large bowel but they're also then connected to other systems Um, and I think that for many of us when we're dealing with a condition like SIBO that we're so fixated on one area we're so fixated on our small intestine because we're like this damn this bacterial overgrowth I want to get you gone and I need to kill off the bacteria that we forget about what's happening potentially in our stomach and coming from our esophagus and, and in our mouth. And I think a, a really important point that you've touched on is the, that very first step before food even enters and that's what's happening in our mind around food. And there, I see so much anxiety around eating because eating equals symptoms for so many people that it's understandable that when they sit down to a plate of food, the first thing they think is, is this going to hurt Am I going into a flare because of this food? If they're trying something new, will will I be bedridden or will I end up bloated and look like I'm pregnant or will I have to run to the toilet? Do you have any advice for your patients and even for the listeners on how to calm that anxiety when they're even just looking at food before they've even taken that first mouthful?
0: Honestly, I think it's just being mindful of it. I think if you just, I do it all the time. I mean, I can be on a roll or I'm in between patient, you know, I have an hour for my lunch break and then the guy's delivering something, you know, we can get easily distracted, right? And so I'll even be like, find myself rushing as I'm making something or putting my, and I'll be like, wait a minute, hang on a second, just be aware. If you just even ask yourself, what am I thinking here? You'd be surprised, right? And it's kind of interesting, I found, at least for my personality, that I would either criticize myself during my time of preparation, um, or really be still thinking about the day. And um, and I used to really enjoy preparing food. And I, I kind of gravitated towards not doing that. So then when we go and we have it delivered, right, we're not having that smell in the home, we're not Waiting and going through this cephalic phase. Um, what's even worse, right, is when we're just going through the drive-through, and we don't even have. We really don't even go into the facility and get that big, nice hit of trans fat. No, not trans fat anymore. But <laughs> I was just recently at an airport and was walked by a fast food place, and I was like, ah. Um, so it's just yeah. So those are the things that we have to think about. And at the same time, you know, even if I'm at a restaurant, my food arrives, I get my face right up in there. I will even fan the meal in my face and, um, yeah, take a moment to really at least kind of bring it in um, to at least start the digestion process. And ideally, I'm also having like some digestive bitters or, you know, something else to aid the process as well.
3: Something that I implemented for myself when I was recovering um, from my bacterial overgrowth was just like you say, pausing and really smelling and thinking about the food. And I took it to I, I, an approach that I did, <clears throat> excuse me, was that I would visualize eating it and visualize all of the nutrients coming into my body going through my digestive system, being absorbed, and then going out to the cells that needed it. And I would do all of that before I had taken my first mouthful. And because I was That's cooking amazing. everything from yeah. scratch, um, I, I had that opportunity to smell my food and think about it. Um, but being a speed eater for all of my life prior to that I had to really force myself to slow right down and it's really interesting now that now that I have retrained my way myself on how I eat and I eat significantly slower than I ever ate I would be the first one who would clear their plate out of an entire group every time and often now I'm Mm -hmm. one of the last and In those occasions where I'm busy, um, you know, everybody's busy, we've all got lots going on. If I can't eat my food slowly and methodically, I'll actually just eat to to the point that I can, and then I will put my food in the fridge, or if it's something that can just sit there, then I'll let it sit there, and then I'll come back to it in moments that I can, when I can actually pause and go, okay, I've got five minutes now. Okay, I'm going to have five more minutes of eating a few mouthfuls. because when I really I do- like
0: bringing that, up. I really yeah. like bringing that up because then it gives me an opportunity for us to even say that's more important. That because I do it as well, it's more important for you to take the time for what you can eat slash and digest, and have that be a smaller amount. And even though we talked about not spacing our meals, but just think if you had to, right? If you're pausing that meal and you have some of it later, just brush your teeth or floss, right? So we're saying, yes, we're going to have the migrating motor complex question come up, but at the same time, sometimes this can be better. Also potentially of like, well, that's how much my stomach could handle at the time for absorption, because that goes into my previous, um, our previous conversation about like, say, for example, needing to know what their gastric acid status may, might need to be. Um, so yeah, that was a really good example of kind of saying, yes, you're right. It would be better. In fact, I found myself the last two days having just been around a huge conference and around people over stimulation, a bit of stimulation, that I really couldn't control my environment and being near and preparing the food, right? That I got home and I don't have much in the fridge or whatnot. But what I had, I sat down. I made sure it was completely silent around me or that I wasn't watching television or something. I closed my eyes even. And I just made sure that I was relaxed, doing deep breathing and focused on my chewing. You know, it'd be really, it's very interesting when you really kind of give it that attention. And what's interesting is that I actually, by being so present, I got the task done pretty quickly. (laughs) <laughs> i know that seems silly not overly fast because oh my boy i was raised very you put your fork down you there was no distractions during dinner time that's for sure and again now i appreciate it but you know so it was like i was even asked where's the fire the fire you know the fire trucks aren't here relax calm down eat your food so it, it is really interesting. And I used to sometimes, I, sometimes I can, I can be like, oh, but I'm in a hurry or I really just need to get this done. And I, again, I appreciate what you're saying is that I was like, well, then let me have this as a quality meal for now. And if I need to have something else later, I'll just make sure that I, um, you know, brush my teeth or get a floss or a pick um, in there to make sure that I'm not leaving a residue or that I'm definitely not leaving an acidic environment in my teeth for an extended period of time.
3: And I find for me that it might be that I just have to space the meal out over over an hour because I had five minutes to eat here and then I have, have um, you know, I, I do a lot of um, interviews or coaching calls or whatever on Skype. So I'm often doing things in hour segments. And so it might be at the beginning of that hour and the end of that hour that I've been able to, to space my meal. So I'm generally not spacing it too far out. Um, but what I have noticed and what I noticed, particularly when I first started applying this technique, was that I would flare really easily and really quickly. And one of the biggest symptoms for me was bloating. And I would be bloated I would I could just watch my stomach and my abdominal abdominal area just expand over the space of 10 minutes from the first mouthful. And what I found really, really helped me was that by slowing down my eating, being present and mindful in my approach to food, um, really helped to calm that down. And I also didn't get the same kind of heartburn that I had been getting previously. And I really do think that because I took that approach um, and I wasn't gassy afterwards um, to the same level, that I just was giving my digestive system the opportunity to work with what was coming its way, and I think that that when I was speed eating for all those years, it was just you know they had no – my digestive. I think of it as like like you said the little factory. All the factory workers in my digestive system were suddenly just hit with a tsunami of food, <gasps> and they were like, "Whoa, what happened? We were on a break."
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it also made me think of was the tapping the emotional freedom technique um, can be really powerful because I have worked with people who, even when they're at their safe foods, right. And you've said that, well, could this still bring pain and such? Um, But that if they do some tapping, whether it's throughout, or they do a full um, kind of conversation with themselves, I would say tapping session, or even if they just tap their one area, like for me, it's the collarbone um, that can really, I find myself doing that all the time. It's my kind of, hey, are you being aware? And, oh, you're being aware now, so now calm down. You know, now take a breath. Now really taking a breath or, um, again, I'll quote my mother. She says, for fast-acting relief, try slowing down. And that's
3: mm, I like brilliant, it
0: brilliant, you know, because so many times we'll just be going in thousand different directions, right? And then the ding of the email or the whatever, whatever, and and it's like, well, wait a minute, just wait a minute, literally take a moment.
3: <laughs> and that's such good advice because for so many of us, when was the last time? And I'm sure my listeners are probably nodding their heads. When was the last time that you just took a moment? You just Paused for a moment. Uh, we're we're on the go twenty four seven. We're like, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got a full schedule. I'm sick. I've got kids to deal with. I've got you know partners, husbands, parents, family, <laughs> friends, mm-hmm. uh, a career, whatever it is um, that is just pulling on you and put putting so much pressure on you. And often we find that we have just totally forgotten about ourselves. And yet we are the most important person in our life because if we're not well, how on earth can we possibly help anybody else in our life? Um, And that's why I I think it's...
0: Well, no, it just makes me think of this very specific case because she and she was very, very unwell. And uh, it kind of concerned me because she even went to a point where she sat outside in this beautiful garden, but she sat by herself. She closed her eyes. She did tapping before. She closed her eyes throughout her meal. She did breathing, set her fork down. I mean, she did everything right. I mean, I would just tell her like gold star, you know. Um, There was the point, though, where we kind of had to set a time frame of how long she would do that by herself. But I think once I realized what the scenario was, was that the family really wasn't contributing positivity. Right. She had felt isolated. She'd felt these things. So in turn, in fact, it was like, I didn't want to encourage isolation, but what I recognized was that by having that isolation to really be present and alone and not feel the explanation to anyone else um, that within that 30 days, we just had a really interesting progress forward. And then they were able to take those skills kind of back into the social family world because of course their digestion was improved and then the family was able to also then go ooh, respect
3: right mm. yeah yeah that's great so i think we've um it's i've really enjoyed how Uh, We've demonstrated the link from literally mind all the way through um, to um, excretion of feces at the end of how it's completely connected. Um, Have you seen with any of your patients that they experience greater incidences of gum or tooth or dental issues when their gut health um, becomes compromised?
0: Well, it's an excellent question in terms of, I would say chicken and egg philosophy of which happened first. Um, so, but absolutely. I always connect and always ask that's on my intake. When was your last dental, you know, your dental visit? Um, how do you rate your dental hygiene? And, um, I even get asked the question of, cause it's so common. Um, wisdom tooth extraction is typically more common than say for example a root canal although root canals are very common um and it's almost kind of that oh of course that happened i was x amount years old and i say "Mm, not always or not necessarily Um, and so there's some components to that but there's also as we know or at least i remember in school, um, how important it was, and it even came into the school teaching us how to brush our teeth and such, um, that similarly to, say, for example, the food poisoning potential onset of the cytolethal distending toxin response that our immune system has to the possible molecular mimicry to vinculin, there's this component to the fact that oral Um, bacteria can be triggering some diseases slash itises in general, right? So there's very well-published clinical studies that, um, well, they have to say they suggest that oral disease and inflammation are potential risk factors for cardiovascular disease, bacterial pneumonia, um, low birth weight or high birth weight, and even diabetes complications, and osteoporosis. So I definitely see this association from the gut as from everything we've previously mentioned. Have they had a brain injury? Do they have constant sinusitis? Do they have postnasal drip, right? Do they even brush their teeth? When's the last time they floss? So how does that relate to your gut? Who's asking you about it? I watch people's reactions when I say how would you rate your dental health or dental hygiene?
1: The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation.
3: Mm, it's interesting and I'm thinking of people that I know who say oh, I haven't been to the dentist in years <laughs> and uh, and you know what impact is that having on their health I'm pretty religious i'm I'm in my dentist's chair every six months for a, a full clean and um you know I'm regularly brushing I brush twice a day and I'm flossing and I'm and I'm doing everything but I found interestingly that when I was um at the height of my SIBO, without knowing I had SIBO, that my mouth suddenly was full of cavities. I had not had a cavity at all. And then at 30, I just suddenly had a whole swag of cavities appear and then ended up having two root canals within six months. And I was like, what is happening in my mouth? This is crazy. Have you seen I that with your have patients?
0: Definitely seen that with my patients. Absolutely. 100% and I know is that's just I yeah when you have and this is again we're going to get into multi-systems and even philosophy I mean it's so multifactorial right because i would even say how that's even more specific to even you and your timeline right of everything we've even discussed so those are components that i just find interesting as to say okay, well, how does gut relate to the teeth? And how do the teeth or the oral cavity, you know, relate to that? And it's one big tube. It's all connected. It is. The whole thing is connected, right? So, yeah, that's just the piece where I say, all right, well, how exactly does that happen? But I'm sure while you were going through your process, not to say that any part of it was wrong or You know, I don't really want to get into that because again, it's, it's a moving target, everybody, right? We're talking about so many things overlapping each other. However, if you just can take that moment and pause and say, huh, could that be a factor? And I would also like to comment. I like to hear how you are having your teeth cleaned every six months. I just had the opportunity to be with Dr. Ben Lynch, not only at his annual conference, but had, um, private time with him. There was just myself. And there were five practitioners. And one of them happened to be a dental hygienist. Um, she's amazing. And she owns the practice, which I also think is fantastic. Um, but she and I just definitely shared um, back and forth. In fact, I was telling her about this podcast in the sense that she was saying, gosh, I wish you were in my practice, because I would love to show you the things that I see in the mouth. And would love to run it by you as to what you think it is, what changes you think are happening. And what I enjoy about her is she was there also looking at these enzymatic pathways, right? And she has a bio, den- you know, she has a biodentist on staff, etc. But she even said to me on the side, she says, you know, we don't always recommend having amalgams pulled or removed, so Mm, it's interesting and and I again and that again just shot my respect up for her in the sense of I said wow really you know because everybody would expect that she says oh yeah it's not right it's not the right thing for everybody and I just said thank you you know she's a lovely human being but also to have that integrity and ethics um is amazing she's in Fort Collins Colorado
3: it's it is something that's interesting because I um when I started having all of these cavities appearing after having regular and good dental hygiene process with myself, um, I started to go on to Google as everybody does and do some research. And I started to feel a little bit alarmed around some of the Articles I was reading about people who have fillings and root canals that can have low level infections, just that where they perhaps might not clear out the complete bacterial infection, and that it just sits there kind of trapped in this cavity that's been patched up uh, and keeping us sick. Um, And I don't know whether you can talk to this at all, but uh, you know, I know that some of my listeners have asked the questions of should we be getting fillings or should we have teeth extracted if we are um, finding that we've got cavities in them and are there fillings that are better than others you know I know there's a lot of quick queries around mercury fillings Um, so if you're able to talk to any of that that would be great
0: yes and these are all conversations that I had at Christmas and Thanksgiving and (laughs) um, over the years of med school um Absolutely, there are there are issues. Um, And that's the number one thing that we would talk about is the anaerobic bacteria that we are talking about that can even live on the um, the ligament, actually. So it gets into I kind of want to like tease out, I guess, what question we're talking about first. So let's maybe hone in on fillings. The fillings component is about removing them. I just have an opinion or at least have been influenced to have an opinion that there is a good argument for how, if we're talking about vapor, that it really needs to be removed properly. So that's what I'll say about that. And so if you're not in a proper filtration system, everybody, and that's very, very high tech. Okay. I'm not even going to get into the details on that, but basically when I've spoke to my family about it, slash considered the age of my amalgams that I have and what time I would need to look and consider these things, you know, they just walked me through. I even asked my, um, one of the, the physician from school, um, Dr. Dick Tom, if he had a referral, he had given me a referral for in Portland. You know, So that's kind of more of that word of mouth. And quite frankly, now I'd maybe even go to Fort Collins um, and be evaluated there. So those are the components. People have to think about all things that you know align with them in their life. Then we get to the point where if I say, okay, so you've chosen to take the mercury filling out. Okay, so these are the conversations that I've had with bio-friendly bio friendly biodentists. Now, you still need to fill that hole or remove that tooth, right? What are you going to put in there? And what's interesting is that they will confess, or I've con- had some conversations where nice, again, friendly debate, where We don't, I mean, from gold folks to everything from, well, what's the adhesive? What chemical are you actually using to bond the material, right? So there are some components there that people think, well, this is bad, so take it out. But I have to say, but what are you putting back in? And so I've had the privilege of having these, you know, candid conversations with people where I would say, if it was you... What would you do? Just like I've mentioned, like, hey, I have to try and find a doctor for myself sometimes. It's not easy finding the right doctor. I hear you folks. But I would also then say to this gentleman that I had this nice conversation with, I said, okay, well, so are these materials any better? Really, in your opinion and your experience? And you know, have you seen these miraculous turnarounds, etc.? And I'm not saying that they're not out there. I just haven't witnessed them personally, they haven't come into my clinic. I actually, again, and this is because of what I do, so I'll say that, right, that actually things have gone very far south since having had their dental work slash more, more specifically amalgam filling removal. Again, that's one of my risk factor questions. If someone has had an amalgam filling removal, I put them up as a ooh harder case more difficulty.
3: That's interesting. And and do you know why that is?
0: Well, I have my theories. And again, just having come back from this conference of going over Dr. Ben Lynch's new pathway planner, 5.0, so exciting. Um, There's metal reasons, metal, we can get into that. But at the same time, um, this presenter that I really appreciated brought up the fact that these heavy metals, the body responds to them as metalloestrogens. So in that case, I thought, wow, that's fantastic, because that's right on the path of where I am. And these people that I am helping them with their estrogen imbalance, that they are having more healing potential. They're having better connective tissue repair. And in that, could I then maybe even see improvement, right, in repair? Um, The teeth are similar to muscles and bones. So I'm just kind of looking at, okay, how could I potentially from taking this person from catabolic to anabolic and rebuild and help remineralize the teeth?
3: Mm, So interesting. Interesting. And I think that we need to think more about our mouths and our teeth than, <laughs> than many of us do. I think we only think about them when things start to go wrong. Poor little teeth. <laughs> oh, I'm guilty of it.
0: I'm guilty of it. I'm just like, oh, yeah. And I remember my parents were were really not happy about and I, didn't, I was going to look this up, so I don't know the actual date and time, et cetera. But I believe it, if it was the New York Times. Well, I want to say it was the New York Times, if not the Huffington Post, but it was this the article about whether or not flossing was, you know, valuable, or there had been this summary about flossing, and they were just like so distraught. I mean, really distraught. And I thought, well, I understand. I understand your passion. I mean, I understand when um, they would watch me actually drink, and I'd like to comment on this mineral water. And um, I remember when I just had to have my mineral water, like I'd crave it even, and. Um, Yeah, just they kind of bring it to my attention of just like, well, make sure you're doing your baking soda, you know, at bedtime. And of course, being excellent parents as they are letting me figure things out myself, right? Um, The other thing that I would like to comment that I've even learned about when we talked about food or snacking throughout the day, which is very common, is for us to not forget about drinks, you know, teas that have a little cream in it. I'm guilty of drinking coffee or tea, can do it all day sometimes, you know, so again, to kind of remind and even remind myself as I was preparing for this, that, uh, I just need to have that toothbrush and have floss. I have it now in my bag. I have it in my, all my bags, um, and just have it on you, you know, kind of as that reminder
3: It's funny how flossing can either be such an ingrained habit for someone, or a really, really tough habit for someone to build. And I fell into that latter cavity uh, cavity. (laughs) Talk about a slip, (laughs) Um, Freudian slip. uh, I'm thinking about cavities. I fell into that category. Um, I struggled to floss. I just couldn't get into the habit of it. I'm now in the habit of it, but it was really tough and I really didn't like it. I don't I, know why. Agreed. I, you
0: know, it's I'd, funny. I, I don't, didn't like that feeling. I kind of liked that study and I was like, phew, okay, thanks, New Yorker, Or you know, the New York Times. It's funny, I had a classmate, we both grew up and, you know, her parents were in dentistry and, and we both, I said, do you floss? She's like, no, not really. <laughs> we're just like, we were like the worst dental patients and I'm like, I always will get back into the habit. So I always will remind myself 21 days to form a habit, right? So if I just put it out there of like, let's just start with, you know, one day at a time, but you get past that 21 and next thing you know, it's more in your system and in your lifestyle. But yeah. And the other component for me was getting the, the right floss that I like and, or even getting those little picks. You know, there, it can be something about, I realized I didn't care for having my fingers cut off, feel, feel like they were getting cut off. <laughs> um, so like I switched over to um, a different form or even like water irrigation and water pick. Um, I was going to bring up chewing gum. Chewing gum is another kind of irrigation where you're kind of wish, you know, moving things through as far as like, right. The American dental association will even they they have the sugar-free gum that um, that's what they're looking at, the component of it being, right? So I've kind of fallen for this uh, ginger gum. Now, it does ha- contain organic sugar, but there's this component that I'm using in terms of like if I limit sugar containing foods or a drink to a meal so that it's associated with that meal time. that's going to reduce that frequency, right, of exposure to the teeth. So I will have my gum at the end of my meal as kind of that sweet thing and it's ginger and I really like this gum and then I'm over it. You know, I just have it enough to, okay, that's enough sweet and, um, kind of cleaning things through a a lot, especially if you're out and about traveling. Um, some people, of course, with the sugar free options out there, like xylitol again. I was grew up around a lot of xylitol, xylitol, and cooking, and and such. And even as I started to recognize the, as we know the the sugar alcohol being irritating to the gut bacteria, um, that's one of the components that they at least had really good evidence for it being um, preventative of the dental caries.
3: Hmm. I had a um question from one of my listeners around what you see in your clinical practice around things like dry mouth and she she messaged me and said that since her gut health had become poor that she had started to experience greater and greater incidences of dry mouth to the point where she was now feeling like she was just so dry and so uncomfortable from it do you see that with your patients and with dry mouth and and Like what happens with dry mouth? How does that even occur and and have you had any success in their gut health improving and therefore their dry mouth improving?
0: Well, absolutely. Dry mouth and what's interesting is people will report dry mouth, but they have frequent – they're thirsty. So they Mm. will explain it, but they're also not over-drinking. Um, So that that was an interesting finding. I saw that at the SIBO center. Um, I was like, wow, look at these interesting patterns. And then as the doctor, you're supposed to ask all these questions, right, especially if somebody puts it down on the intake. And yet you do your doctor questions. And it's like, well, no, they're not diabetic. They don't look a certain way. They're in normal weight range or underweight, etc. And the only answer that I have to say is similarly to, and this gets into some enzymatic pathways, which is why I was at this conference, is that we're looking at how the bacteria, or even more specifically, when I'm looking at Dr. Ben Lynch's pathway planners, how lipopolysaccharides are affecting these enzymes. And hence, therefore, for example, in the transsulfuration pathway, we're dealing with glutathione and detox. So it gets more complicated in, th- in that sense, all right? So what I would say, though, is that I've seen some patterns where if you have higher intensity of lipopolysaccharides, and like I mentioned, that woman that originally came to me, she had been working with a practitioner on her gut for five years, and she came to me when I had even done specific food panel testing, she was so reactive all over the place. In fact, she was actually very upset with me for getting the test results, like what can I eat then? Okay, and she even got this feeling of a hangover from food could barely eat hardly any foods was underweight. It's this story, right? But the number one thing that she comes in with capital letters, bold, dry mouth, her mouth was so dry, she even prefaced in prior to come in to see me as a patient that she cannot complete a salivary test. And wow, when I'm looking that's dry yeah. So that is actually very common. I look for dry mouth and I look for dry eyes. Dry eyes is another common um, I think of mitochondria. There's a number of mitochondria in the eyes concentration. And dry mouth is letting us know that there is again I'm saying it's kind of like the alarms have been going off for a while. Beyond dehydration, there could be an immune response, right? Or immune reason why the salivary glands aren't secreting. There's Sjogren's. Um, so there, there can be additional reasoning that may actually need to be worked up. What was very interesting in my summary of this case was that not only did her dry mouth completely resolve, like I mentioned, And I don't know exactly how far into her protocol where we were addressing um, the hormonal components because her system was very depleted. So we needed to work on her foundation a a lot. Yet in working on her foundation and blocking the environmental toxins, the the dry mouth completely resolved. And by identifying her gastric acid status, which yes, everybody hear me, it was hype, Bur, meaning excess gastric acid she went from once we were able to address the hyperchlorhydria she went from five foods to 10 to 15 to and you know and with all of these things yes sometimes having this residual quote hangover effect yet the hangover effect was shortening and you know so and then these like these other inflammatory or autoimmune things that were always being directed towards autoimmune responses actually started to reduce. And we are able to see, and I have followed people who have had their antibodies also reduce.
3: That's really interesting. And it's interesting that link between the um, excess stomach acid and dry mouth. And again, it just goes to show that it's all interconnected, so, what's happening in the mouth and what's happening in the stomach, what's happening in the small intestine, what's happening in the large bowel, it's all connected with each other.
0: <laughs> and I would also have to say that um, there's a very unique story behind that human's experience. So, if people knew more about what that person has been through, also, you know, there's just, it's just, it's very interesting um, in terms of, I, look at and have read with have been influenced by Louise Hay. And um, the book, You Can Heal Your Life really moved me um, however many years back. And so that's just kind of that when I think of something with an autoimmunity, what is what and I'm not saying this about anybody, but there's just that little piece of like, what are we maybe judging of ourselves, there might be a little bit of that woven in there. And that's why I also find um, tapping or emotional freedom technique and free writing to be so therapeutic.
3: Mm, Definitely. And I've had um, an experience with, um, it's not Tapping as such, but I can't even remember the technical name now. But it was a a, a technique that I used to help me overcome significant emotional trauma, and that it did involve some tapping, but it also involved kind of dealing with the memory, and, and that had a significant impact and profound impact on my gut, because once I was dealing with the emotional side, my gut was not so knotted up and twisted in anxiety. So, it's Everything is internet connected. Nothing works in isolation. Absolutely. Sometimes people,
0: actually, um, doctor Samberg Sandberg-Lewis would combine EMDR, so eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So we would do like a tapping session and then he actually would add in some components from EMDR at, within his tapping session, which sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But that was, I'm really glad I was exposed to that. Um,
3: What about things like permanent mouth retainers? Are they changing our gut flora? Uh, Sorry, our mouth flora? Permanent,
0: uh, excellent question because it really comes down to hygiene. I actually had that down as a risk factor, you know, something also to consider that if you are wearing a temporary retainer or I had a permanent retainer, um, that eventually I. Broke off <laughs> um, in Europe. That was interesting. Um, but what can get stuck in there, right? Or if we're wearing braces for a time period, again, I went through braces, and um, it's not easy to clean your teeth when you have braces on. Oh my goodness! Talk about flossing being a set some time aside. Um, we you really love a water pick when you have braces. But now even with these Invisalign, I, I just made it a point to say, you really want to make sure that these are being properly um, sanitized, right? And are you airing things out properly or do you have a proper carry case or, you know, what's the process that you have um, to make sure that you're not just kind of, again, kind of uh, having a little Petri dish that you keep putting in your mouth if it's the ones that can be removed. The ones that are permanent, yeah, making sure that that's being assessed by your dentist and that you are able to perhaps even get a extra instrument to ensure you're getting that clean.
3: And what about um, overgrowths uh, that can appear in the mouth as well as uh, other areas of the body, so fungal o- overgrowths or even bacterial overgrowths? Um, what can people do to kind of help support their system or even things like uh, I don't know if it can but something like H. pylori which uh, can be in the stomach can that also live in the mouth and obviously we know that the systems are all interconnected Um, how can we sort of treat one and and perhaps support the other end of the of the digestive system or not negatively impact the other end of the digestive system
0: right well I guess it would always be prevention versus cure right? Um, I know you would say I was preventing my root canals, right? I mean, what happened to you, I have definitely heard um, quite a few cases, actually. Um, But basically looking at this entire entirety, right? Am I calm? Am I this? Am I that walking myself through? um, And I'm not saying that all of these things are easier. I don't want to like inundate people with things. But try and look at what are the best things that they can do for prevention and it's really interesting when you do just get down to the basics i mean when we talk about sleep and um, i heard this fascinating conversation about sauna i've always known about sauna and again was raised around a lot of sauna but it was just fascinating to see that the heavy metals were really this guy presented on where did he actually see heavy metal excretion and it was predominantly in the sweat. I mean, most successful coming out of the sweat. And then it was interesting how we even went further into saying, well, we actually want to be wearing clothes in the sauna so that we're not reabsorbing our sweat. So, I mean, there's just a lot of details of like, what are we doing to facilitate things? Dry skin, brush it, you know, being calm, being mindful. Um, am I even brushing my teeth? Can we all check ourselves on our dental health, right? And, um, but then at the same time, really being informed because root canals have become ubiquitous. And in fact, there's even been this like, okay, from this year to that year, they were even like kind of encouraged or like expecting people to have root canals, kind of like the comment I made about wisdom tooth extraction. You know, my mom made the comment of me because I only had one, she says, Oh, well, you're evolved. (laughs) I always approve that. (laughs) And, you know, I would look at the terms in, in terms of like, were you twenty something years old? Were you maybe perhaps put under for the procedure, and or were you given a um, an opioid medication, you know, post third uh, wisdom tooth extraction? And then there's more detail even to that, where we can actually they're finding there's some residual bacteria that can be left behind or perhaps because of that root canal, um, what my parents and I would really discuss was anaerobic bacteria. So some people don't heal, right, upon removing that from the bone. Um, So they, they might actually be leaving or we have access to this anaerobic bacteria getting right into the bloodstream. And I'm not even going to get into methanogens, you know, methanogens are one, hydrogen sulfide another, right? So I go back to, I I put my amalgam filling removal cases up to the top of being the most difficult to treat. Like I put a red alarm going, "Uh uh-oh, I give this person anything, it's going to be tricky now Mm, that i'm able to yeah now that i'm able to block the environmental toxins however i'm feeling more comfortable yet or for example there was a woman who came to see me and she was leaving um the bay area and she's like encouraged right to get this chelation done and yet the aftermath of that was just horrific quite frankly and I then look at the behind the scenes, I look at her enzyme pathways, I look at why she is unique, and why her liver and her system and her quote unquote, die off reaction is a certain way, and how that affects everything else. So what I would say is that what's important for people to remember, and this came up in a case actually of a, of a child, she's 10 years old where the mother's very focused on, Oh, when we redo this breath test, right? Because she's in the middle of doing the elemental formula, we're going to get this breath test and, you know, go team, go, even if it's still positive. And I had to actually have a really hard conversation with that mother saying, you know, your child has a positive IBS check test. She has the highest I've ever seen next to this other woman that I'm working with Dr. Pimentel on. And and this child is in excruciating pain up until two, four in the morning. I mean, it's, it's, it's heart wrenching. Okay. She's now down significantly. And she just even said to her mother, I can live with this if the pain's only a two or a three. Right. And what I really had to sit to focus on with the mother to say, do you see how in tune she is though? And we need to talk about when she's 12 and when she hits puberty And when she first has a beer or has a piece of pizza, you know, or gets pregnant or has her teeth cleaned, she needs to understand why her SIBO is unique, her why she is susceptible to it rather. Not that it's always going to be there. And what I was able to say to her is that when she's that tuned in, she can keep her pain. I hope that the future is her pain never gets higher than a two or a three. That's the future goal for me. I want her to be in a place of she knows how to manage her life so well that there's no pain, but she also needs to understand that with her positive migrating motor complex slash immune response to her, to this toxin, that she's five times more likely to another food poisoning or child, you know? So it's just this thing of like, let's not just keep whack-a-mole and saying, oh, we've got it. It's done and especially those who are then instantly moving on to bringing on probiotics. Now, I know there are people who look at that differently and all respect and professional courtesy to everyone. However, I actually see probiotics being immune-stimulating and can often create some stimulation or even create some problem. So that's another reason why I have them removed from At least the alimentary canal, you know, more specifically, it's going into the one specific area.
3: Mm, It's very interesting. Um, And I often hear from people that are trying to bring probiotics back in because they've read online, again, (laughs) always online, uh, that they should, and they're having these terrible reactions and they contact me and say, but I read that I should have probiotics. Um, why can't I tolerate them? And I'm like, because you're not the mass population. You are you, and you're unique. And uh, not everything is going to work for all of us. Well,
0: I even again, I put my I put my neck out there a lot around my colleagues, where you know they would say, but this, or they'd say, but this uh, phage or this and that, and this and that. I say, I say with respect, that's an isolated study in. What in your human, in a rat, in a research model, not in you born here, Yada yada, right?
3: Yeah, and and I think that it, it, sometimes as well it's that it's just not the right time. I couldn't do p- probiotics for quite a long time. Now I can so and now i couldn't do fermented food now i can tolerate a little bit so it's you know your unique history your unique experience that's taken you to this point today but also it doesn't mean that this point today this very second is going to be you for the rest of your life as well and sometimes we forget that it's just a long continuum until the day we take our last breath and all sorts of stuff is going to happen to us in that time. (laughs) Um, And it's so interesting listening to you talking about the history with with dental work and I was that person. I was the 22, maybe 21-year-old. I had all four wisdom teeth extracted in the one go. Under general anaesthetic, I took opioid um, painkillers for a week because my pain was excruciating I had a terrible reaction vomited for an entire day split all of my um stitches open like I'm listening to you going oh my god no wonder <laughs> I've had so many problems uh, did, you have a, did you have a dry socket
0: by chance also or any of them no I didn't actually oh good that's a blessing
3: one thing I didn't have
0: (laughs) yeah well and so when we were talking about where these pathogens come from because I want to be careful in terms of like with SIBO we are talking about commensal flora but bacteria you know the pathogens get through the dentin tubules so there's like miles of these tiny little tubules per tooth and that's like the mid section um, called the dentin And that's just below the enamel. So you know how we're talking about if we've had worn enamel or we're demineralizing the enamel and then we're just adjacent to this pulp chamber. So that's where those bacteria can go. They can travel down those tubules into that periodontal ligament, which is what I was mentioning earlier. Um, And that's where they, they actually have been looking at some studies as that relates to the root canal and the whole component of saying, Oh, well, that's a dead tooth. Well, then my point is, I say, well, the body doesn't like something dead in the system.
3: Mm, It doesn't. And then
0: you want to, what, shove some foreign material in there? Or you just want to sit there and say it's sterilized? I mean, so, again, with all respect to the industry and the what can we do, right? I don't want to cause havoc and doomsday but it's just this aha again if there's been anything have this sit just like you just did right rebecca just said oh wow i may not have ever even factored that into my entire life SIBO history slash health your whole
3: timeline of your health um I definitely haven't until today's conversation, which is so great. And, <laughs> and what I love about um, podcasting is that I get to um, chat to, you know, people like yourself, Dr. Keller, and I learn so much. And then I piece it back to my own medical history and I have light bulb moment after light bulb moment. It's wonderful.
0: <laughs> uh, as do I. Thank you. I was getting ready for this and I was like, oh, yeah. And I'm also right, continuing to prepare my SIBO symposium. and. I had to wait for this conference to get such valuable information. I'm so excited to share. And then preparing for this, I was like, oh, the timing is perfect.
3: Uh, Yeah, Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you, um, Dr. Melanie Keller, so much for coming onto the Healthy Gut Podcast again. Uh, It's just a joy to have you on the show and and, um, answering so many of the questions that my listeners have around oral health and gut health. Uh, And I think the real takeaway from today's episode is that it is all interconnected. So if something is happening at one end, uh, definitely having an impact on other ends of our system (laughs) and nothing works in isolation. Um, If people would like to reach out and connect with you, um, how can they do that?
0: I think the uh, Facebook page is probably great. Um, We also have um, through the website, which is SIBO solution.com. And on that we have a newsletter you can sign up for I have an ebook. And yeah, keeping things posted up there would be the best and my assistant is available for scheduling I have um, introductory 10 minute options for people as
3: well. Wonderful. That's great. Thank you so much once again for coming onto the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
3: I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Melanie Keller. And if you would like to see me record live or come and see me interview some of these incredible specialists that I get to talk to every week, I would love to see you there. This week, I'm going to be in Seattle on Tuesday and Vancouver, British Columbia on Sunday. And you can come along absolutely free. I've had an absolutely wonderful time catching up with fellow seaboers in the US on my tour. And people have had a just gorgeous time listening in on the podcast interviews if you'd like to see what it looks like to attend a podcast interview head to our facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash the healthy guts and you'll see some great photos from our nights doing that If you'd like to get the show notes from today's episode, all you need to do is head to thehealthygut.co forward slash oral health and you will find the show notes from today's episode and the links. I absolutely love hearing your feedback, so don't forget to leave a rating and review in iTunes or whichever app you use to listen to this podcast. And your review really helps other people know that this is the right podcast for them. And come follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest and Google+. Just look for us under the healthy gut. We absolutely love seeing you there. Coming up on next week's show, we're joined by psychologist Kirsten Baus, and we talk about mindset. It's such an important part in our recovery to health. So I hope you enjoy the show next week. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. And as we are fully funding this podcast, if you would like to help support the continuation of this podcast so that we can continue to bring you future episodes, All you need to do is make a contribution at thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. We would like to thank Belinda Coombs for the production, editing and original music score of this podcast. To hear more of Belinda's music, head to soundcloud.com forward slash Belinda Coombs. The Healthy Gut podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening.